0: We have uh, been talking about transformation, and um, the thing that we thought that we would do for the next uh, couple of weeks we started last week is talk about probably one of the most difficult things we could talk about, and you have to ask yourself a question, why is it so difficult to talk about? But it is. It's the issue of our money. The Bible has much to say uh, about money. In fact, um, Jesus spends almost the entire book of Luke talking about this. I completely recognize that it's an issue and it's an area of our lives that uh, in many ways is pretty obnoxious to talk about. Nobody wants to hear about it, including me. The Bible has to say this about money in 2 Corinthians. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. But whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one, there it is, each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Hmm. That's, I don't, I'm not a cheerful giver. I'm a very non-cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, in other words, we're always taken care of, you may abound in every good work, as it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed, and he does, to the sower, that's us, and bread for food, will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way. And then then look what it says there. You will be enriched in every way to be generous. In every way. So not just with our money, but with our time, with our stuff, with everything. Which through us you will produce thanksgiving to God. Hmm. So the concept that we were trying to get a hold of today would be the concept of does our transformation what god has actually done for us in jesus that's the gospel does that transformation actually work or move out of us into all the areas of our lives even the area of money it's it's, it's uh, you have to ask yourself the question why why have we got uh, to the point where we've gotten here and where here is is why why are why is society, why are so many of these things that we face with in life, not just money, but money's a big one. Why is it so private for us? Think about that for a minute. Why, why is this issue so private? I mean, let's let's say this I mean, it's not like you're gonna go out this next week and spend time with your friend at you know, having coffee and your friend's gonna look at you and go, hey dude, let's let's talk about your checkbook. That's a joke. Somebody once said this, if you want to know about someone, all you really need to do is follow the money. Well, if that's the case, we're all indicted. A rich uh, televangelist's wife said this after kind of the mayhem and the fallout of their ministry, said this, direct quote, none of us were evil people. We truly loved uh, God and wanted to serve him. We never sat down and said, we are going to become arrogant, calloused, and insensitive people. These maladies slip up on people. No one loved us enough to hold us accountable. No one looked beneath the glitter to see if our lives matched our performance. I would challenge the, the, the statement of no one loved us enough to hold us accountable because the majority of us, the way that we live, even in our Christian understanding of life, we're, we don't have anybody to hold us accountable. We don't want in reality, in my experience, maybe it's not for you, maybe there's a few in your life that actually would have access into your life that would look at you and say this, hey, girl, let me ring the bell a little bit. Hey, guy, let me, let me ring on that bell a little bit. You're really screwed up about this. You're thinking wrong. You're actually thinking sinfully about this. Think about that. Do you have those people in your life? It's like she assumes, hey, we were, we were on the insane merry-go-round, and what we needed was somebody to come along and to put their hand in the middle of the merry-go-round and stop it. Are you kidding me? In the majority of our lives, there's no, I don't want, I don't, I don't have a lot of people. I have a few in my life that I feel I can go and do that. But the majority are, don't you come near my merry-go-round. Interesting, isn't it? Does anybody in your life have that kind of access, I guess? It would be a good question. Anybody in your life have that kind of access? Even about your money. Or about whatever's going on. Do they have, do you have a community like that? Is it, they, or is that just a dream, something I'm just talking about up here? Something that's like a, a, a cool thing to think about. What else is here going on here? If the couple comes into my office and they do a lot and they sit down and they talk with me and she says something like this, we got into an argument this last week. He verbally abused me. He said these things to me. And I look over at him, and I say to him, did you say those things? Here's what I get about 99% of the time. Yeah, I, I, I did say those things, but I didn't mean to say them. What, what what does he want to communicate when he says, I didn't mean to say him? Does he want to communicate that all sin is premeditated and malicious? Is that what we do with the majority of our sin? In other words, did he wake up in the morning at 7 o'clock, punch the clock, go get his coffee and say, I can't wait to verbally abuse my wife tonight at 8 o'clock when we get into a fight. No, what he's obtuse to is this. He's obtuse to the nasty flesh that still lives inside of him that provides a thousand blind spots every day that really he has massive power to destroy his wife. Sin isn't... Sin doesn't show up in a, in red pajamas with a you know the horns and a fork and said kind of give you a little holy goose. <laughs> that's not that's not that's not what it is. It's 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 what it's what Peter says for the devil prowls around like a roaring lion. And what's the verse? Searching whom he may what? So, say it. Yeah. Devour. Think about that word. And have we as a people are we being devoured by this? This issue? We're, we're kind of going along, we're moving along in life, we're doing our thing, we're putting the money in the bank account, but is this one of those issues that, that is, it is, it is just so, it's, it's not this malicious thing we do. We don't wake up in the morning and go, I can't wait to hold my money again, you know? I can't wait to not give. It's not, that's not what it is. It just happens through the course of time, and it's so slow. And it's so opaque. If you have your Bibles this morning, turn to uh, Luke chapter 19. If you don't, we have it on the screen. But if you turn to Luke chapter 19, if you know this song, sing it with me. Ready? Zacchaeus was a wee little man. Come on. A wee little man was he. He for the Lord he wanted to see, He's, and, and then it goes, uh, he said, right, Zacchaeus, go ahead, Calm down. for I'm going to your house. Remember that? Some of you are looking at me like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Why have I shown up this morning? Do you remember that? Is it possible that um, there's, there's like a lot of scriptures in the Bible that are there that because we've sung songs when we were like six years old, we don't pay attention to them anymore? In other words, they're just kind of nursery rhymes. This right here, this is an unbelievable example of gospel transformation. An unbelievable example of gospel transformation of of a man who had this encounter with Christ and all of a sudden on that encounter, I want you guys to know something, everything changed. The title of the sermon is, be careful what you ask for, because you may get it. And let me tell you something, this man, this Zacchaeus man, he got it. He got it way more than what he wanted to get it, I'm sure. Look look what it says. It says, he entered Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich, so we know he's a rich man. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small of stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass that way and when Jesus came to the place he looked up and he said to him Zacchaeus hurry and come down then look what he says for i must stay i must stay god god actually coming in intervening taking the initiative Zacchaeus for i must stay at your house today and so he hurried and he came down and he received him joyfully but when they saw it the pharisees they all grumbled has he, he has gone into the guest of a man who is a sinner. Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor, and if I have defrauded any one of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to his house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. Be careful what you ask for. You may get it. Jesus wanna, Zacchaeus wanted to just see Jesus. He so badly wanted to see Jesus that he was willing to, as an adult man who's rich, climb a tree to see Jesus. Now, adult men who are rich are usually fairly serious men who wear suits. <laughs> so there was something going on in his, inside of his life that made him desperate enough to want to climb a tree. I began to think, um, who in my life am I... Um, what I really like to see, and I would climb a tree to see, uh, and there's really not anybody. Maybe Dolly Parton, okay. <laughs> but there's, other than that, there's not anybody. When we were in Disney World, um, when I had my daughters and they were young, everybody lines up at, the, at Disney World at about six o'clock, they start lining up for this crazy parade. Have you ever been there and seen this? Six o'clock rolls around, people begin to, you know, sit on the sides of the street. Everybody begins to gather. Now, I want you to know that um, back in that day, it, it wasn't nearly as much mayhem as it is now with mamas with strollers, or with strollers. Mom with strollers now, they have like, you know, five kids in one stroller, you know what I'm saying? And so, but it, it's crazy, and kids are everywhere. And they're, they're screaming and yelling. The closer it gets to nine o'clock, it's, it's on. My daughters are, you know, there with me. And they're there, they're there to see somebody that day. And the somebody that they were there to see wasn't Mickey. They're girls. I want to see Minnie. I just want you to know, I didn't want to see Minnie. I didn't want to see Mickey. I didn't want to see one more minute of Disney World. I was sick of Disney World. I hated Disney World. I had been working all day at Disney World. My kids thought it was a vacation. It was for them. It wasn't for me. I was interested in going home and having my vacation called bedtime. Mickey came by, or, uh, Minnie came by. Yay, Minnie, Minnie, see me, see me. That's what was going on. Zacchaeus, for this day, wanted to see Jesus. So he was willing to to actually be involved in this shameless act of wanting to see Jesus so bad that he was willing to climb a tree as a rich man to climb this tree to see Zac- er, to see Jesus. Oh, be careful what you ask for, Zacchaeus, because you may get it. Because I'm going to tell you what happened there. And we don't get a chance to see it. But something happened at Zacchaeus' house that day. Something happened that would forever change his life and the way he thought about his life. Because in that house that Jesus said, I'm going to stay at, in that house, he encountered the Master In that house, he encountered God. In that house, he had a radical, life changing lunch with God. Let me ask you a question before I go on. Do you think God sees you? Young lady, do you think God sees you? Do you think he sees you in your plight, in your pain? Is he that good? Young man, do you think God sees you? Do you think he cares? Does he? Does he see you in the crazy, unbelievable places that you climb around in your life? you think he sees you? you think he cares? Is it that interactive? Do you view your God as that good where he sees you? I've come today to give you a message. And the message is, yes, he's that good. And he sees you. And he hears you. Even though we operate many days where we don't think he does. But he saw and he heard Zacchaeus this day. Because Zacchaeus' life, as a result of this lunch, became reordered. It became rearranged. Think about it. Zacchaeus starts the day by climbing a tree because he wants to see Jesus, and he ends the day by writing some big checks. What in the world happened? Well, let's just talk for a minute about this. This is exactly what Jesus does, my friend you know what he does? He takes the initiative in our lives, and he comes in and ruins everything. And you know what? We need everything to be ruined. He really does. It's, he, his, he's such an unbelievable surgeon. And sometimes he comes in with knives, wielding, and they're big old giant axes that need to c- cut some big things down. And other times it's a real small scalpel scalpel. But this is what Jesus does. Jesus comes in. He takes the initiative. He takes the initiative by moving actually against, many times, people into their houses, into their hearts. By the way, did you know what the house was in the Old Testament? The house was the tabernacle. That's where God lived. Now in the New Testament, after Christ, get, get, what is the house? The house is our hearts, our body. Our, our body is a temple of the Holy Spirit. God lives actually inside of us. It's a miracle. It's a miracle. But that's what he does. And when he moves into these places, when he moves into these hearts, he 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 has a design. And his design is to radically transform people. Like exactly like what happened with this man. It's kind of the truest definition of extreme makeover. Have you ever seen this show? You ever seen this show? It's crazy. Did you know that many times the people that get the extreme makeover, they come in and spend tens of thousands of dollars? Have you ever seen the shows where they spend tens of thousands of dollars on someone and, and and the owner of the house walks into the house and goes, oh, I don't like that. Think about that. Think about how crazy that is. You know how crazy it is that you've been given a gift and you don't want the gift? But you know what? We're like that with Jesus. Jesus, guess what? You can have access to the room. I don't want an extreme makeover. I just want you to make me a nice person. Can you make me a nice person? Just, just just, make me good to my wife. Make me a good old boy. Give me a vacation now and then. I just, I, I kind of, that's, that's what I need. No, but but, what Jesus does is he comes in and he goes, no, 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 no. It's not what I'm interested in. I got the, I want the title to the house. I want it all. For those of you that um, are a little bit younger, you may not have heard of a little book that's called, uh, my, it's called My Heart, Christ's Home. And it's a little story written by a guy who basically uses the metaphor of Jesus coming in and living in our house. And he talks about, when Jesus comes in, how he takes over the rooms of your house. Let me read something to you that I think you'll find pretty intriguing. He says this, he says, One evening I invited Jesus into my heart, and what an entrance he made. It was not a spectacular emotional thing, but very real. Something happened at the very center of my life. He came into the darkness of my heart and turned on the light. And he built a fire there, and he banished the chill. And he started music where there had been silence. And he filled the emptiness emptiness with his own loving, wonderful fellowship. And in the joy of this new relationship, I said to Jesus, Lord, I want this heart of mine to be yours. And I want to have you, listen to this language, I want to have you settle down here and be perfectly at home. Everything that I have belongs to you. Let me show you around. And he shows them around. And they go through the rec room, and they go through the dining room, and they go through these different rooms in his house. But they come to this place called the hall closet. Let me read this section to you. One day I found Jesus waiting for me at the door when I came home, and an arresting look was in his eye. And as I entered, he said to me, Hey, there's a really peculiar odor in the house. Something must be dead around here. It's, it's upstairs. I think it's in the hall closet. As soon as he said this, I knew what he was talking about. There was a small closet up there on the hall landing just a few feet square, and in that closet behind lock and key, I had one or two little personal things that I did not want anyone to know about. Certainly, I did not want Christ to see them. I knew there were some dead and rotting things left over from my old life. And I wanted them, listen to what he says, I wanted them so for myself that I was afraid to admit they were there. Reluctantly, I went up with him. And as we mounted the stairs, the odor became stronger and stronger, and he pointed to the door. And then listen to what it says, because it's exactly how we all respond. He pointed to the door, and it says this, I was angry. That's the only way I can put it. I had given him access to the library and the dining room and the living room and the workroom, and now he was asking me about a little two-by-four closet. And I said to myself, this is too much. I am not going to give him the key. Well, he said, reading my thoughts, if you think I'm going to stay up here on the second floor with that smell, you're mistaken, I'll go out on the porch. Then I saw him start down the stairs, and when I felt bad about losing the fellowship with Jesus, which is the worst thing that can happen, he says, I had to give in. He says, I'll give you the key. But you'll have to open the closet, and you'll have to clean it out, because I haven't gotten the strength to do it. Just give me the key, Jesus said. Hey, what's in your closet? What's in mine? What are the things that you have going on in your life right now that are really smelling up the house? What are the things that you have going on in your life right now that If Jesus were to put a finger on or or try to open the door to that that place, you'd be furious with him. What are the things going on in your life right now that there's no way that you would ever say to Jesus, I need you to come in and clean this area of my life, and here's the key. I got a feeling, and I think it's probably well-founded, that Jesus talked with Zacchaeus over this lunch and what he wanted to talk about was the hall closet and what he smelled in there was the idol of money and that's what jesus does and sometimes i don't like him for it because we always have to talk about the hard thing and i see i think that was zacchaeus's problem and i think that the this, that this was kind of this one big, smelly, dead, rotten subject, and I think it's a dead, rotten subject for us, and I think that if we were to really be real and talk about something that we all need to talk about, I think we would probably have to admit that this is in, in all of our hall closets. Somebody asked a Catholic priest about all the confessions that he had listened to over the course of his ministry, and he said, I've heard them all. He goes, oh, the stories I've heard, the sin, the struggle, the pain. But very, very few times have I heard people talk to me about their greed. Tim Tim Keller says the reason why people talk, talk about their greed is because no one believes they're greedy. Almost 99% of Christians today, and this is true of Midtown too, give away 1% to 2% of their annual income. Did you know that? I don't want to do the math for you, but I want you to know something that's abysmal. It's horrible. What's happened to us? It's a good question. What's happened to us? And I I throw myself right in, in with you. What's happened to us? You've got to ask yourself this question. Why have we become a rotten, smelly generation of radical minimalists? Think about that. What's happened to us? What actually has gone on in our lives that everything that we think about with our time, with our money, with our stuff, we're all about what is the least I can do to get by with this issue? Why is generosity never on my mind? But minimal is always on my mind. What is happening? Am I that narcissistic, you guys? Do I need therapy? I'll tell you what I need. I need gospel therapy. I need this word worse than you do. What's happened? Is it because that I, I, I earn my money and I'm an I'm a, I'm an American. What are you talking about, man? I'm a a, a man. I've been to college. I work hard. Pay me my money. I'm going to decide to do what I'm going to do, man. American flags and money and apple pie. I'm going to have plenty of that this week, aren't I? I'm an American. I work for stuff, man. This is my stuff. Oh, come on. We believe that, don't we? I remember one of my kids... We're little, and they love to go out for ice cream at night. After you know they, and nobody wants to take the kids out for ice cream at the end of the day because you're so everybody's so tired. So they want to take you know go out for ice cream. So you know you do the deal, right? You do the deal. You get them all together. That's an unbelievable miracle. You, You you get them all together. You gather them all up. You put them in their car seat. You know I mean unbelievable. You know, they're on the way. When are we going to be there? When are we going to be there? We haven't gone out of the parking lot yet. I mean, you know, the driveway. We get there, and, you know, we're we're going in. And, of course, my daughters go, Daddy, we can't see it. We can't see We can't see the ice cream. We can't see And it. it's a glass case. We can't see, Daddy. We can't see it, Daddy. We go, okay. Right? You grab them. Yeah, I'm, I'm, so I'm picking them up now. And then Shelly says, hey, we'll pick up the other one. I got two, you know, over, over the glass cases. You know, okay. What kind do you want, honey? Oh, Dad, this is fun. This is fun, Dad. Keep going. No, honey, you need to choose ice cream. You need to choose. Tell me which one you want. bubblegum. Worst kind. <laughs> the, you, nobody likes bubble gum. Dads don't like bubble gum. Dad, dads like licks of ice cream. By the way, I believe it's a righteous, righteous entitlement that dads need to be able to eat off their kids' plates at any time they want. And my daughters are bugged by that, of course. But, uh, you know, dads see themselves as a the provider of that meal, right? So anyway, sure enough, we get the ice cream, we get the sprinkles on, we get everything they want, we decide to spoil, we're in the car, we're heading out. And I look over at one of them and I said, honey, let me have a look at that. This is exactly what happens. No. It's mine. Here's exactly what I'm thinking. You're kidding, right? No, no, seriously, you're you're kidding, right? I'm. It's. Do you remember what Bill Cosby Bill Cosby said? This statement about his kids. He says, "I brought you into this world, not take you out." It's, that's that, that, that's how you're feeling. But here's but but here's what I want us to consider. Is that what we do with God every day? And does God look at me every day and go, you're kidding, right? Do you really believe that that's your ice cream cone, your job? You really believe that you, you've you've made that happen? Do you really believe that? Do you really believe that your money and your daughters and your job and your tools and your things and your time and your values and your priority, all those things, do you believe any of that is is as a result of you? You're kidding me, right? I could have decided to give you birth the year 1401 on a mountain in Tibet and allowed you to herd sheep for a your a whole life. No bubble gum ice cream. I would have said, thank God. Did you know that, though? Do you see God like that? Where that every good gift, everything that I have is from him in the first place? You're kidding me, right, Joel? Something happened. Something happened. Zacchaeus B. Was, had this radical transformation that equaled something. And you know what it equaled? It equaled radical generosity. The, 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 the words changed from mine to now this is thine. This is yours. How in the world does that happen to a guy in a day? And why is that not happening more for me and you? Radical generosity is giving that flows from this personal encounter with the gospel. Because you see, Jesus is rich. And Jesus became poor so that those who were poor could become rich. I'm a rich man. In the book of Acts, we see the early Christians marked by this sudden, spontaneous giving. It says in Acts 2.41, those who accepted his message were baptized, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and prayer, and everyone was filled with awe. Then listen to what it says. All the believers were together and had everything in common, and they sold their property and possessions and gave it to anyone who had a need. Something radical must have happened inside of them to make them be so quick to give their stuff and money. It's the only way to associate it. It's the only way to associate it with this prime example of Zacchaeus. Does anybody say this about us? Does anybody, anybody say this about us? Like, do my daughter say this about me? Oh, those midtowners—they're they're so generous. Joel—he's—he's he's so generous. Last week I was working in my garage. It was a nice day, and a neighbor comes by. I have never met him before. He's whistling, so he's happy. And I go, "It's good." He whistles. He comes walking close to my garage. Here's what I think—exactly what goes on in my mind. This is how dark it goes. Okay. He's going to ask me for a tool and he's going to take that tool, and he's going to break it. Doggone it, if he takes that tool and he breaks it, he's going to replace that tool. So I'm going to tell him, yeah, sure, you can take my tool, but you need to know if this happens. That's how I thought. Why did I think that? I think that because I'm not, I'm not participating in the economy that God wants me to participate in. In other words, it hasn't inverted enough in my head. Where Jesus is my master and I see all of my stuff, everything is his. And I am a steward of his. That's all I am. And he's made me rich. And I am his steward. And guess what he wants his stewards to be? He wants them to be known for being crazy generous, to pay people back four times, to give it away. It's a good message for us. Let's pray. God, thank you for this uh, scripture. And Lord, I pray that as people, we would, we would get far more in touch with what you've done for us and who you are. And the, the fact that you've brought about massive transformation in our lives. You've changed us from death to life. That now, even because of that transformation, we have an identity as your son And as your daughter, that you call us your children. That we belong to your family. That we have a peace and a strength now to handle the craziness of this life. That we are absolutely lotto rich people. Lord, I pray that we would act a lot more rich than we do. Thank you for Jesus Jesus, thank you for coming to earth, and thank you for having conversations like this with real people that we could really relate with. Help us, God. We pray in your name. Amen.